City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Good morning. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR Community Radio. I thought I'd do the intro today because Kevin always jumps in, but today he was too busy with his newspaper clippings. Um, hope you remembered your reading glasses this morning. He's busy with the teapot. Uh, my name's Karina. I'm pressing the buttons. I notice you don't say that anymore, Kevin. Have you stopped um, feeling as if I, I, I do much over here? Well, no, it's okay. You could, well, I'll say it if you like. Oh, there's Corinna over there pressing the buttons. So. Yeah, pressing yeah, the okay. buttons. Right. Okay, that's very good of her. Um, Corinna, today on the program, it is the first Wednesday. It's Transport Day. While I'm saying this, I'll, I'll pour a bit of tea for us both. Um, and and we've got John McPherson in the second half of the program, our regular commentator. But you've also done a... Well, the other week, we mentioned the other day on the program uh, what a great rally it was, um, the rally about accessible transport a few weeks ago. Um, but you, while you were there, uh, recorded the speeches and you put something together. Tell us about it. Oh, um, I mean, I'm not going to pretend it was particularly techie. Thank you. <laughs> well, you, um, you held your mobile phone up and got them. It was okay. My mobile was phone, my microphone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mobile microphone. Uh, a couple of speeches from that rally, one from the start and then, you know, as we said, it was pretty good. I think there were about up to 300 people there. Yeah, uh, we yeah, marched up Sydney Road. It was a really good big crowd for the day, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had the marching band going, so I popped some of the music yep. in. Um, and then some of the speeches that you missed, Kevin, when we were blocking off the end of the Radio. So, um, town hall. You've put, you put a grab together. We're going to play that shortly. Something like that. Um, all right, that's very good. And uh, anything you wanted to say about that on the show today? Or, well, oh, I've got so team? much to say. Have you? Okay, we'll say it. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like you got really some some sharp critical thinking skills, and I was I was wondering on on the way here, um, why are sometimes during the day um, so much more difficult to commute somewhere? Such as 9am for this program. <laughs> oh, it's simple. That's when people go to work and everything's crowded. That's why. That's, why. that's peak hour. That, that's, that's to do with transport. and That's, uh, that's peak critical thinking skills. My critical thinking skills weren't even tested. Then, thank God for that, I thought. This could be, this could be a trap. You're Speak, not the only one that can be tricksy. What's up? traps, I'm not sure why I should be even in your company this morning because I know, I know for a fact you've been to jail this week. Um, I'm not sure what to say about that. There you are. But it is an ADOC week and uh, Karina has been doing some of the work on the uh, the prison broadcasts. And uh, and Karina, um, it being ADOC week, I, don't, I often think it's pretty token, so we don't do it here, but we should acknowledge that we are on on occupied and stolen land and uh, here at 3CR and everywhere. And... Uh, 
And I thought it was interesting the way a couple of people have celebrated NAIDOC Week very well this week because um, Kerry, Kerry Stokes, who's one of Australia's most you know, richest men and uh, runs the Channel 7 network but also has numerous other projects, particularly in Western Australia, including vast pastoral lands, and he's concerned about a new Aboriginal heritage law that's coming in Western Australia, which followed the Duke and Gorge disaster when Rio Tinto, as we know, destroyed those caves. Mm. Um, but it, but the, the law was passed back then, but it didn't come into effect. They just kept putting it off. So, in fact, it only came into effect last Saturday. And poor old Stokes, he's really upset because he all he wants to do on his massive piece of land, which um, presumably he... He's, he's people owned for about 65,000 years or more, I presume, um, this, bar, these vast tracks that he and Gina and others have out there and, and, um, and Twitty uh, Forest to those people. <laughs> um, but he wants, to, um, he wants to clear about 200 hectares of bush to operate four centre pivots drawing on groundwater to grow Rhodes grass to feed his cattle and he's afraid that the Aboriginal people might step in and, and under the new act and isn't it terrible the way that... And deny are, him his wellsprings. He's, he's right. I mean, what right <laughs> have they got to his land, for God's sake? I mean, it's terrible. And the other classic one this week was, of course, uh, the opposition leader, um, the old duffer. Um, he, uh, he came out and attacked a number of companies, which probably were doing it for PR purposes, no doubt, but are donating and supporting the yes vote in the referendum. And he told them that they are, in fact, acting against the national interests. Um, so clearly, as far as he wants to, he's concerned, in NAIDOC week, he thinks supporting Aboriginal people in the Constitution is against the national interest. I think it's fine to have an opinion, but if your opinion directly hurts someone <laughs> and you're in a position of power and your your opinion and choices directly hurt people and are completely bigoted as well, um, it's not it's not cool. No. The thing about water kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies as well. It's a little bit like, um, I don't know too much about it, it's a little bit like building permits for up in the air but underneath the ground because it's all interconnected. Mm. You know, as First Nations people have been saying, it's all interconnected. It's all part of this, um, you know, it's all part of this earth and we, we should be looking after it and stuff. But it's kind of the next big thing in Latin America, very similar ones with well, lithium be... mining and, and as we know in yeah. West Papua. It's all it's all very, um, mining is is a water-heavy industry, and the way that it kind of leaches out of adjacent groundwater is not yeah. really that well-known, no, at least the, to and me. The, and the pollution they cause to it, but also the fact that mm. uh, they get it for nothing, whereas we we pay fortunes for our water bills, and they're getting all that for nothing. It's, a, it's another subsidy from the public purse to the great mining giants. That's right. Uh, interesting uh, um, one this week as well, following that, that event at Parliament House where the Nazis lined up, um, a bloke called Remy Van Wait, which one? <laughs> well, that's, well the, 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 one, the one that was also, both sides were pretty ordinary. One side was, uh, one side was I think... Oh, Andy, the protest out yeah, the front and, of Parliament yeah, House. Yeah, that right, one, that's yeah, it. that's right. Um, I, neither side was any good on that one. But anyway, that, the, the bloke called Remy Van who's been around for years, Remy, he um, a good good left-wing... Um, lawyer years ago, he's now a KC, um, but he's come out and said 
that uh, he's attacked the police action and he said police's failure to halt the uh, hate act amounted to a breach of a legal agreement signed off by former police chief commissioner Dixon in 2008. He said he was concerned uh, that one of the neo-Nazis, this is an interesting bit, one of the neo-Nazis was the son of a Victoria police officer who boasted he was proud of his son in a social media post. Mm. Um, and he goes on to say, he claimed the raw footage of the protest laid bare the painful reality that Victoria police officers were not mere spectators, rather encouraged, authorised and or assisted the neo-Nazis. So just thought I'd raise that one. It's a... <sighs> Wake up and smell the jasmine, Kevin. The white jasmine, I'm assuming. <laughs> this is just this is just um, ordinary jasmine tea. Yeah, oh. it's ordinary, no, it's ordinary, but it's jasmine tea. It's all interconnected. It's all, all interconnected. part of the same racist colony, right? Um, now, also this week, a bloke called Nick Hossack, he, uh, another you mentioned earlier about deep thinkers. Um, <laughs> Did well, I? This, <laughs> this bloke's right up there. Um, he, he used to be a policy advisor to um, to John Howard when he was Prime Minister uh, and he's now a, a public policy consultant and a former policy director at the Australian Bankers Association. So he's, his credentials are terrific, really, aren't they? <laughs> um, but he, come, he had an article... He had the Financial Review one day last week, uh, a so-called think piece, which is very questionable. <laughs> certainly at least half of think piece has to be questioned. Um, he argues that the attacks on Cooper, which I think PWC stands for pricks with confidentiality, but that aside, uh, he actually justifies them. And his argument is they're a business, and they're just doing what business does. It's like, as I've mentioned in the week that was, the snake that bit someone, and they said, why did you bite me? And he said, because I'm a snake. Um, <laughs> and so business just does it. And he had one, just to, to show a little bit toward the end of his article, he says, although he clearly went too far, well, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> resulting in um, etc. The 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 PwC partner was an act, was acting entrepreneurially. He was actively pushing to get more clients and make more money. Some will despise this motivation; others will celebrate it. There is a difference between the private and public sectors. Uh, but what we are address what we are witnessing now is something silly, driven by grandstanding senators who I strongly suspect are more vitriolic towards the nature of successful professionals and their firms than the issues surrounding the confidentiality breach. So what a great piece he's saying that they hey, all we did was all we did was do what business people do. And he's probably right, actually, but do you think about it? I mean in that sense he's correct. In that sense he's correct, but maybe not not, not that um Revealing, no, not no, that much right. of an epiphany, right? And just before we go to your um, your little grab of your little grab, your grab, your wonderful grab, um, <laughs> the uh... let's stop there. It's too early, Kevin. <laughs> okay. Uh, can I talk now? You told me to stop. All right. All okay, right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, interesting. Interesting juxtapositioning again. Um, another again on Tuesday morning, yesterday morning, um, which was looking at what might happen, which is not worth reading because it, when it happens, it happens, or it doesn't happen. But they were speculating on the front page about what might happen at the Reserve Bank yesterday, and the headline was "Pay Growth Pressures RBA on Rates." And the article pointed out that that the pay pay pressure now at the moment is such that the rates could go up because obviously workers' wages are the real cause of inflation. 
just a bit sad that the other day there was a separate article. Uh, the OECD came out and said that bumper profits and not low wages growth had spurred inflation. Um, so the OECD obviously is uh, is questionable. Well, lucky someone's questioning it then. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But anyway, that's it. And you'll be pleased to know that there's also just a separate piece that women in the public sector um, uh, are lower, much lower pay than men because they're not in, you know, there are much fewer women in senior positions than men and many more women in lower positions than men. It's, it's something you probably know about, but as a report came out to tell us what we already probably knew. Um, I don't know, so I'm taking anyway. a while to process that, but then again, I'm only a woman, so... Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm a yeah. man, I understand it, you see. Yeah, uh, with your that's big right. brain. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Karina, um, introduce us to the, uh, the grab. Oh, uh, yeah, so uh, Kevin and actually Zeb and I uh, all went to this rally, which was very super cute, on the 17th of June on Sydney Road. Um, so it's by a kind of group and supported by several different adjacent groups, um, including councillors, uh, which is the Sydney Road Accessible Transport Campaign. You can look them up on Facebook. We'll put them in our show notes as well. Um, you don't need a Facebook account to access the e-petition and all of this stuff, but basically um, it's about um, what we've discussed several times on Transport Show, which is um, that they are calling on accessibility for the tram line of the number 19 going through Brunswick ahead of the proposed um, rail upgrades, which could take more and will likely take more than 18 months. Which I'd call rail downgrades, but that's another question. Yeah, Yeah. in which the bike path and the rail line will be closed for that amount of time in about two years, I think they've got it planned for. Um, so we started off at the little square across mm-hmm. from um, Sparkly Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Wilson first Avenue, Wilson Avenue. Yeah. That's it. Um, that's your that's your neighbourhood, isn't it? Well, on Wilson Street, the other side of the line, <laughs> cha- the other side of the railway line, it changes to Wilson Street. So that's that's me. Yeah. Um, and so the first speech is from Bram Heinrich McPartland, mm-hmm. who's the chair of the Mary, Be- Mary Beck Disability Reference Group. Um, Then we marched and we'll hear some of the speeches from the intersection of the town hall, from Monica Hart, Elise Cunningham, a bit of words from Sue Bolton and some music from the Riff Raff Marching Band. You mentioned who they are because Monica is a... Yeah, Monica and Sue are both Marybeck councillors and Elise is... Maybe we've had her on the show before talking about Better Buses, the Sustainable Cities campaigner at Friends of the Earth. Yep. Um, and just just in passing on that, you mentioned Zeb being there as well. And yeah. We haven't lost her completely because she has pre-recorded a bit we're going to play on the fourth Wednesday of this month. So, Oh, well, little do I know. That's no, a nice I, little surprise. I was, was going to tell you, I've just told you now, I was going to tell you off air, but I've just told you on air. There you are. Well, seeing as we're always late, tease the priority around here, but um, I might go to these speeches. First up, Bram Heinrich McPartland. The point of me being here isn't to tell you what you already know. I mean, I could if you wanted. I could say that this is getting to be urgent, that putting us in this position is cruel, that this is a human rights issue, that people in positions of power aren't going to listen unless we kick up this fuss. But you all know that by now. Instead, what I'm here to say is that this needs to be the start of something widespread and that it should never have been necessary. 
look, not a one of you is going to grow old without becoming disabled. It's just the fact of the matter. Every single one of you is temporarily abled at best. Your vision will go. Your knees, your hips. Things will get harder and the world will feel a lot less kind. So we need to make this a wider spread topic. We need to show that the community cares because it's not just for the people using disability specific aids now, it's everyone. There's kids in casts, there's the person dragging their shopping. You know, it's, it's for everyone who uses public transit. The number of wheels that we have connected to the ground at any given time is immense. Every aging person I've met struggles with the roughness of getting into and out of trams and buses. And like, half the people I know above 40 already had bad knees by 35. Honestly, public transit should have never been this way anyway. More accessibility just means more usability for everyone. It should be clear, but to so many people, especially those in power, it simply isn't. But here's the thing. It means smoother transitions from one place to the next, less stress, less pain, less struggle. If anyone can use a ramp and only some of us can use stairs, why exactly are the stairs still the default? The only thing we lose by making things more accessible are the lies we tell ourselves about being sprightly our whole lives. If there's no shame in using glasses, why is there so much shame and why are people are so reluctant to accept the concept of mobility aids? Well, actually, I personally think it's an issue of attitude and infrastructure. As a society, as a larger whole, not necessarily those here, but as a society, we treat disability as so taboo, so alien, as something not to even glance at in case looking at a wheelchair user or someone with an assistance dog is somehow wrong or insulting. We're scared of it. Like, as a community, we are scared of disability. It sits in this weird spot in our heads. Do we ignore it, pretending that there's nothing wrong, or do we acknowledge it and acknowledge that things need to change? Yet after I got over the weird internal shame of needing a mobility aid, there was another really major hurdle. And the reason that I hesitated when moving from a walker to a wheelchair was really simple. How do I get around? It doesn't take all that much work when we do things right from the start to make things more accessible. A tiny percentage extra cost, I think it's less than 5% to make tram doors that slide into a cavity instead of, you know, pushing out and then uh, sliding across means that there doesn't have to be a gap. All of this could have been done in the first place. Safer crossings, stops, it doesn't actually have to be that hard. The lack of consultation is what originally caused this issue, but a lack of compassion is what has forced our hand. I'm not expecting every single one of you to help me specifically to be able to use public transit, but I am asking all of you to question what possible downside there could be to making it easier for everyone. We need to take this as a chance to set precedent. What could have been done from the start hasn't been. But that's not an excuse to give up. If we make it clear that enough of the community wants this, we could set real, genuine change in order. We could make a lasting impact on wider policy, 
we could make part of our world more accommodating to everyone just by making our voices as loud and as clear as possible. I'd love it if you get involved in that with me. I'd love to know that there's that support, that there's a sense of community, of camaraderie, of awareness and compassion. Without that, we're kind of just trying to survive in a world filled with strangers. Common goals can unite us. Look, this is a great start and I'd love to see this take off. I'd love to see the world I live in, the world we, you know, we all live in, be a little kinder to me and mine. The community of wheelchair users exists as part of yours, but to let us into the community, we need to start with things like this. Accessible trams and accessible tram stops mean the world opens up to us more than you'd realise. And I know I'm not the only one here who wants that. Thank you for your time. I think I'm, I think I'm done here.
folks who don't know what this is all about, we're having a campaign to win accessible tram stops before the government closes the upfield train line for level crossing removal because when the line closes it will be closed for a lengthy period of time, 18 months or so. No boss is going to pay your wage when you can't get to work. So we need these tram stops now. I just want to give a shout out, that's Councillor Sue Bolton. Um, I'm also here as a very big councillor. I want to give a shout out to James Codlin from the South Ward Councillor who's here, Mark Riley, and councillors who aren't here but have lent their name to the statement in a personal capacity, which is an Angelica Panopoulos and also Lambros Tapanos from the South Ward. Um, and I really want to acknowledge the support of the behind Marybeck Council. Brunswick Council has always been part of transport campaigns, always there. Um, Marybeck Council has continually supported this campaign around the accessible tram stops and their advocacy paper to the state government on a Brunswick Skyrail. Foremost as a priority in that is the priority for accessible tram stops to be installed before the construction of the Brunswick Skyrail. So just, just want to give a shout out and for that support today and acknowledge that. But most of all, I want to give a shout out and acknowledge for everyone who's here today. It's been a long time since we've all walked together up Sydney Road because this campaign didn't start just with the announcement of the Brunswick Skyrail. As speakers have said today, this campaign started 30 years ago, 40 years ago, sadly. And it started, shame, and it started when successive governments were ripping up railway lines. The Loney Report of 1980, which saw railway lines being ripped up. The Kane government with their plans and some actions they were able to do in the 1980s and then the Kenneth government. And in, 19, in the 1980s, we saw the move to get rid of, basically rip up St Kilda railway line, the Port Melbourne railway line. And we saw activists, we saw people with disabilities chaining themselves to the trains, chaining themselves to trams, because what was happening was accessible transport was being replaced by inaccessible transport. There were campaigns through to the Equal Opportunity Board, and even though while they acknowledged discrimination, because it had already happened, you couldn't reverse it. Then in 1988, that's when we saw what was the start of the campaign by the Labor government to close the upfield line. But the resistance they were met with was the same sort of resistance that we're beginning here today. And that was of a broad-based community, worker, trade unionist campaign. And that was a campaign about keeping accessible public transport. It was about keeping the upfield line open. That was a campaign that was broad-based, well-organised, and that was a campaign that very solidly met the Labor government. It was also the campaign which saw the victory 
of the retention of the upfield line. And it's that same feeling I get when I walk up here today because I remember, I remember the people who were part of that campaign and I see so many faces around here today. I remember the work with Emilio and the people who wheeled up Sydney Road, who walked on crutches and shoulder to shoulder, lobbied and worked solidly to defeat not only the plans of the Labor government to close the upfield line, but the plans then of the Kennett government. So that was a long, hard, that was from 1988, the late 80s, to 95 when they decided to put money into rebuilding the upfield line and upgrading it. That was seven years, folk. We don't want seven years, but that was the sort of campaign that it took. And that's what we're building today. So congratulations to everyone for being part of, because this is just the beginning. And I reflect on the people who aren't here today, because many of those friends and comrades from disability movement aren't here. But someone in particular I want to mention is a man who founded the Disability Resources Centre back many years ago, and who came with us when we started to launch and prepare for this rally. And that's a man called Frank Hall Bentick. And he was there in the 80s, he was there in the 70s, he was there in the 90s, he's been there right through. And sadly, probably one of the last events that Frank went to was probably the, be the beginning when we were planning for this campaign, when we were over where the scaffolding is. And I think we carry, we carry the legacy of Frank. He always, they talked about him being a patient man, that he was determined and he was a man of such inspiration. And that's the inspiration that we bring with us in this campaign that we're on today. And I've also been thinking about another great activist, Katie Ball. And Katie talked about, and it was at a rally way back in the 90s sometimes, she said, well, we've got the technology to make Victorian transport accessible. But what is lacking is the will of the government. And nowhere is that more evident than a plan to have elevated Skyrail for $19 billion in Brunswick without elevating and making accessible the tram stops of our people, for our people, for all our people. The people in wheelchairs, for older people, I include myself in that, for the prams, the people at every part of the age group where we have vulnerability. We sit in council and we get asked to, you know, look at plans for higher density living. That comes, that's a big push. But what's higher density living if you don't cater for the heart and soul of people and the heart and soul of people to be able to move and to have access to community? So that's the essence of the legacy that we bring from the days, from the old days. And it's wonderful to see those old familiar faces, to remember those that aren't here, but to see the new faces that are here for this campaign. A campaign that we have to take to the heart of Spring Street, because that's where we're going, right to the depths, right across a broad-based movement that we're building to make this a human rights issue of accessibility for all. Accessibility for all. 
so great to see friends, comrades and supporters here today. Um, thanks so much to Christian and all of the incredible folks at the Sydney Road Accessible Transport Campaign for inviting me to speak today and thank you everyone for joining in solidarity. Um, as Sue said, I'm Elise Cunningham and I coordinate the Sustainable Cities Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne. Um, and we've been campaigning for equitable, safe and accessible public transport in Melbourne and in Victoria for nearly 50 years. Um, we are part of the Transport for All Coalition and have joined with the Disability Resources Centre and people from all over Melbourne to protest inaccessible tram stops all across our city. Um, more recently, we joined with Martin Leckie as he attempted to board the tram on Ligon Street repeatedly. And every time he did it was told the same thing. You can't get on this tram. It's not accessible to you. Well, that's unacceptable. In 2020, during the lockdown, we joined with DRC again for a digital campaign to end the lifelong lockdown that folks with disability often face throughout their entire lives. And today we're here to stand in solidarity with the Sydney Road Accessible Transport Campaign and all people in our city and in our state who are facing the everyday struggles of transport disadvantage due to a lack of care from our government and continued ignorance of the needs of people with disabilities and mobility issues who are inhibited from safely and freely moving about our cities. Only 15% of our tram network is accessible for wheelchair users. Shame! People who can't drive are left facing social isolation, economic disadvantage and are kept out of participating in our communities because the government chooses to turn a blind eye. Shame. Shame! People's level of ability in their body should not inhibit them from accessing essential services or from doing the things that they love that able-bodied people take for granted. According to the National Disability Standards for Accessible Transport, Victoria's transport system was required to be 80 to 90% accessible by 2022, but they missed that target. We stand and will continue to stand in solidarity with the Sydney Road Accessible Transport Campaign and keep on fighting to make our entire public transport network accessible for all. Thank you. And you're listening to City Limits on 3CR Community Radio. They were some sounds from the Accessible Tram Stops for All rally held on Sydney Road uh, on the 17th of June. Uh, a note as well, that was just the beginning of this campaign for accessible tram stops. Um, and, yeah, a couple of other people spoke there, including Christian, who we interviewed from the Sats Now campaign about a month and a bit ago mm. probably now. Um, we also heard from Tony Morton um, from the Public Transport Users Association and Dr. Tim Reed, the Greens MP for Brunswick, um, who noted that, um, and I think this is um, worth mentioning, that um, the cost of raised tram stops along Sydney Road will would actually cost only a 60th of what the proposed costs are for the raised um the raised the level crossing removals. Yeah, the level yeah. crossing removals. Thank you. Yep. Um, but on the line now we have John McPherson, our regular transport commentator. How are you going this morning, John? Yeah, fine. Yeah, just been listening listening to that. It was a great presentation. Thanks, Karina. Yeah. Yeah, well done. And John, well, Karina made the point. Tim Reed did make that point, but oh, that's mm. just for that. But the, the response on the morning of the rally, in fact, there was an article in The Age about it, 
Uh-huh. And um, the Department of Transport estimated it would cost $2 billion to upgrade all 1660 or so tram stops. Um, um, but surely, if we didn't do all these level crossing removals we don't want, we could probably pay for it, couldn't we? <laughs> yes, well, that's the thing. It's, um, it's entirely where you put your priorities. And um, the priorities of the gov- this government seem to be that, you know, look after the car drivers rather than the people who have to use public transport. Yeah. Mm. But, but there's, it is an incredible um, disaster, social disaster and, and, and social rights um, abrogation that if they do close it and these people lose their public transport, I mean, they've got every right to. And uh, Christian works at... Um, Christian works at St Albans, I think it is, um, with a group, and he he would have no way of getting to work other mm. than maybe by taxi, which would be mm. very expensive. Mm. Um, if if he loses his um, his accessibility, for instance. Yeah, well, it it, it I mean it, the um, the raised stops that they've got, say in Bridge Road now, seem, Bridge Road and Victoria Street, they seem to work. Uh, that's, uh, they seem to have finally found a design that seems to work, but the stops. So it's just, it's just, um, you know, highly, you know, confusing really that they just can't get on and do it. You know, it's, 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 it's like they've, that they've completely. This is Spring Street we're talking about. They've completely forgotten the whole, whole need for accessible transport. And I and can't the, remember. I can't yeah, remember. Sorry. No. sorry, John. I no. can't remember who it was at the rally, but someone very specifically spoke of that because, you know, there's this kind of perceived uh, pushback of people who have shops along Sydney Road mm. uh, because they don't want the works and all of this kind of business. But they raised a really good point. It's like, well, if it becomes an accessible street, then that's more patronage. That's that's actually better. Like, people have access to the community and the community has access to all kinds of people. That's right. And and look, you know, I mean, as well as people who use wheelchairs and walkers and all sorts of things, there are also uh, people pushing prams with, you know, children. And there's a, there's a wider range of the, of the, of the community that, that benefits. I think it's one of the speakers was saying in, in your piece, Karina, you know, there's lots more people who benefit from from the stops being made accessible than just the people that we automatically think of, you know, as being disabled. And when he talked They're, about older people, people getting older yeah. and finding it more difficult, I knew what he meant, John, let me yeah, tell you me that. <laughs> I instantly thought about my knees, yes. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I, can, I can vouch for what he said, there's no question yeah. of that. No, well, I mean... Yeah, it's it's sort of it, and 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 it is one of the disadvantages of trams in a way that they are, you know, they're good in so many ways. But you know, level boarding on a tram is really essential. Even modern buses, for instance, they can actually kneel down now to make it easier to get on. Um, but trams don't don't do that trick, um, uh, and, and so they need they need level boarding, and they need um, you know a sliding. Uh, a sliding out ramp thing as well. Now all these things are doable, uh, and they they do them in you know we do it to a small degree in Melbourne, but we, we we're simply not getting anywhere near the commitments that were made. What about twenty years ago or twenty five yeah, years ago? Yeah, it's always fifteen years time as we keep saying, yeah, and then yeah, they announced yeah. twenty twenty two. Now they're talking about twenty. Um, 
Now they're talking about twenty thirty two or something. I mean, it's just oh, pretty good. ridiculous. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, you yeah. can just yeah, you can just change that easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. What's well, another ten years? Yeah. <laughs> and you raise a point, John, that it's doable. However, mm. with um, inconsistencies and you know this mm. half in half out privatization mm-hmm. of the of the transportation mm-hmm. system, it's mm-hmm. putting the onus on drivers who potentially are already inundated with. Um, scheduling commitments, um, being yep. in a rush. You know, like I was discussing this with someone the other day, the, the yeah. 510 bus line has the bike rack on the front. Um, yeah. But oftentimes if you're at the stop with a bike, they'll just go straight past you because they have quotas to meet and KPIs, not KPIs, <laughs> but you know what I mean? They've got a, yeah, they've got the timetables to run and that's that's one of the only specs yeah. with which they're... they're um, yeah. Yeah, they know they know it might take a couple of minutes exactly to, to get the bike on the front, and therefore they'll be they'll be behind time. And that's not on necessarily the yeah. individual driver being yeah. being hostile. It's actually no. it's actually a work pressure sure, um, that's imposed sure. upon people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that, well the same. Well, I hate to say it, but the same probably applies to people who want to you know wheel on with a wheelchair. <clears throat> that's got to be you know that's got to be made. Nice and easy for everybody to keep the to keep the trams on time and all those sort of things. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. John, we do it so moving badly. on, the yes. Um, yes. the western suburbs have copped it again in a again, sense that yes. uh, because of there's lots of things happening in school holidays, road works and and line railway lines and mm. lines being closed, uh, gridlock all over the place. People trying to get into the city. Mm. Um, your comment on that? Well, yeah, um, it's it's interesting. It means the people who live in the western suburbs they're not necessarily benefiting a lot from all this um, mad con- mad construction. You know, a lot of it's about getting. You know, it's a lot of it's about dealing with freight, and it's also about helping all those lovely people who wanted to commute by car from Geelong um, and get into the city when they get get to the Melbourne end. You know, the the Westgate Bridge with ten lanes isn't wide enough any longer. Got to have another. Got to have another way into the city. Uh, you know, all those things aren't necessarily helping people in the west, mm-hmm. but they're the ones who are having to use bus replacements. And part for, of it, of for, course, for is the the Westgate Tunnel, which is way behind yeah. schedule and way over cost. Yeah. Uh, which was, of course, a proposal put up by Transurban anyway, <laughs> which the government copped. And yes. then when they hit hit the brick wall, the government gave them money, which they shouldn't have, in my opinion. But now, mm. now the Herald Sun's running a line as if it's Dan Andrews' fault that this is all happening in the Westgate <laughs> Tunnel. Yet it's a a private it's a private yeah, project of yeah. Transurban, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, the government, and particularly Tim Pallas, was pretty keen to hop on board when when um, Transurban came up yes. with the idea. Uh, and I think he he thought it would help help his people in Werribee, I suppose. That was that was his thought. Um but but um you know it, again it's um it's a huge complicated process to provide more road capacity. Uh and what you really need is to get both freight and um and commuters on rail, it would seem to me. Mm. You may have oh, answered what I'm about to ask John, but <laughs> I had lunch with someone at the weekend. Yeah. Who said, well, because we were talking about the fact that the Western suburbs had turned against Labor in the last election mm. and could go bad even worse next time they could actually yeah, lose some of those seats. Yeah. 
But she said, well, look, they complain about people, the government doing nothing for them, but then when all this money's being spent out there, they keep complaining. Now, how do you respond to that? I think you may have answered it. but uh, I think I sort of have already. Yeah. But yeah, because a lot of what's being built out there isn't really for the, for the people who live there. It's for the people who live even further out, you know, in Geelong or, or uh, Ballarat, and, or, or it's about freight. Because um, most, of, you know, a lot of the well, a lot of the places that generate the big amounts of freight for Melbourne are in the west as well, um, and we seem to be, you know, we we've got no real plans to um, to improve those areas for 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 people who live there, uh, and to move the freight otherwise. We're just thinking, oh well, we've just got to make the roads better for uh, for freight, and that means um, you know bigger roads and more of them. And that's what's happening. Yeah. And arising out of this, last week there was an event called the Great Gridlock Race in uh, which yes. they had a cyclist, a motorcyclist, a <coughs> um, a runner, a car driver, right. a runner who must have been pretty fit, I would have thought, yeah. and someone using public transport to get from Yarraville to South Bank. And the end result was that the cyclists made it in 24 minutes, bike paths and things via Footscray Road. Uh, the motorcyclists took 27 minutes via Docklands Highway. Uh-huh. The car took 40 minutes after being held up for 15 minutes just to get onto the bridge. Yeah. Uh, the runner took 43 minutes. Well, some of us might have taken about two days. Yeah. Um, and uh, the public transport person took 64 minutes having to get... Um, a bus to wherever, and then a train through the loop, and all sorts of things. And sick. And she made the point that normally it takes a you know any much shorter time when the yeah. thing's running properly. But yeah, yeah. so that was it. So in fact, public transport ran a long fifth. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's right. Well, she would have been on a series of unconnected buses, I, I imagine, and uh, they would have. Um, she would have spent an awful lot of time hanging around between buses because even with them. Um, replacement buses, you know, nobody can manage to run them at decent frequencies. It, it just doesn't happen. Uh, and so that would be what was going on, I guess. Yep. Um, and then, you know, again, up in Spring Street, there just would have been a shrug and this, oh, well, that's the way it is for the next few weeks, you know. Just um, get, just get used to it. But, that's of course, right. it's people on public transport who get the, um, the, the, the thin edge of the wedge or whatever it's called, yeah. Yeah, and I notice also there's a proposal to build a uh, a major sporting precinct together mm-hmm. with all the usual stuff, apartments and residential mm-hmm. townhouses and business districts, out near t- at, at, on 62 and a half hectares in Tarnit. Um, mm-hmm. But the the developer uh, is is saying that they they want the government to the state government to develop a Wyndham City Stadium train station located 600 metres from the main stadium. So I presume this is a new station they're talking about rather than the current Wyndham station. Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. It, it, it sounds um, a pretty remote place to be building a big stadium where, where presumably you'd want people to you know, be attending it from all directions if it's going to have big big matches of you know, whatever whatever um, sports they're playing. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds to me like it's more about the developer the developer getting hold of cheap land and then, then trying to um, 
you know, sort of bustle the state government into committing huge amounts of money. Well, the story uh, says more than seven hectares of land was gifted to the company, so... Uh, oh, well, OK. <laughs> not bad, isn't it? I mean, not, it's good, good if you can get it, John. Yeah, good if you can get it, Kip. Yeah, yeah. Look, anything... But again, you know, looking at it from the other side, anything that might help, um, you know, put some pressure on the government or force the government to improve the... Um, you know, the, the public transport out that way, which we know is terrible. You know, the rail line isn't electrified. The um, the buses, the bus networks are, are, are pretty um, sad. Not very, not very many buses run. Uh, you know, all these, all these things. But, you know, it's the same issue all over Melbourne. You know, when it comes down to it, it's going to be buses that are going to provide your local suburban transport to get you to you know, the, the tram line or get you to the rail line. And, and you know, in most parts of Melbourne, those bus, bus networks simply don't exist. Or if they do, they're so threadbare in terms of, you know, times between buses that they're, they're barely usable only by people who have no, no choice, you know. I mean, on top of that as well, I feel like they are at the mercy of what the traffic looks like in any given place mm-hmm. as well. I mean, not everywhere's like, I don't know, the East End Freeway, for example, where they have a priority lane. They yep. do still get stuck in bottlenecks and stuck oh, in traffic. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And there's not really that much to account for that. It's, as you say, mm. it's all interconnected and could be absolutely eased by by yeah. proper infrastructure to rail freight, for example, even out yep. west, you know? Yep, yep. yep. Yeah, I must say... Uh, I think the Auditor General um, has just recently been criticising the state government on the freight front for, for not getting on and and sorting out getting the freight to the to the port mm. and and to building the the, the inter, 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 uh, inter intermodal depots for freight that it's been promising for years now. All these things seem to move so slowly. And yet, all the time, the amount of freight going on road rather than rail get, keeps on rising, you know. And that, that of course, means um, that the freight going through the western suburbs, mostly. Mm. And it's, these things just, just never, you know, there's no urgency about any of these things. It's, it's part, extraordinary. Part of the transurban pitch for the Westgate Tunnel mm. was about this, that very point, of course. But will it really yeah. help freight much? I mean, uh, Well, yeah, it, it'll, help, it'll help a bit. Uh, and it'll put more. Um, it'll it'll mean that the freight will be more attracted to going by roads and by rail, of course, because nobody's doing anything at, at any speed to improve the, the what what rail can do to get freight to the to the port. Um, these days, Sydney does a much better job of getting freight to its um, its container terminal at Port Botany than we do in Melbourne. They've actually got on and done stuff with rail. Mm. Yeah. Uh, whereas we just seem to have um, fiddled, you know. And do we have kind of historic lines out to there or, or spaces that we can use? Because I don't actually know that much about it, John. Well, there are, yeah, there, the, the basic rail lines are in, in place. <clears throat> um, and the, the, and there are, you know, there are even plans, you know, for, a, for an intermodal terminal in the western suburbs. But, you know, you just keep, I don't know, I just keep hearing about them being mentioned, relaunched. Oh, yes, you know, something's going to happen by, you know. It's it's very much like the 
the proper proper stops for 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 trams. You know, it's, it it just gets re-announced every six months, and then nothing seems to happen, and then some minister thinks, oh, we better say something, and they say, oh, yes, we're going to do it again. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, the rail lines are in place, um, but it but there you know there's a lot of planning to be done to 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 make it all work with all the various agencies who've got to be got to be committed, you know. But even, you know, even the big transport, private transport firms appear to want something to happen. Um, but it, it just doesn't ever seem to happen. It's just been talked about for about the last decade. Because, I mean, you know, basically when you look at it, we've got our um, tr- container port in the wrong place, really, because it's in such a you know, crammed in there at the mouth of the river. And it's hard to get to from any direction, either by road or by rail. But, of course, um, uh, when we sold it, when it was sold off to private operators, it made it a lot harder to decide we're going to move it, move the port to somewhere more, um, you know, more um, workable, like like further down the bay on the western side. There we go again, it would be the, the western side. But, it, you know, it would be a lot better if the if the port was down maybe halfway between Melbourne and Geelong. Mm. But, yeah, that, you know, they don't think that's going to happen in the short term. Well, that was mooted, but, I mean, I guess you're right. Once they privatised yeah. the port, then that really went out the yeah. door, didn't you know, yeah, it? Sunk it pretty, sunk pretty in the bay or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. John, just to finish up, because yeah, we've only got sure. five minutes left or about four yeah. minutes left, but um, in the middle of all this mayhem on public transport at the moment, mm. they decided to jack up the Mikey fares out of the blue. <laughs> That was a pretty yes, smart that was um, that was very good public relations, wasn't it? Yeah, terrific. <laughs> you know, the, um, the there was a, the, the promises of reduced fares in, in the last election, and um, you know, country fares have come down, uh, and apparently there's been a big a big um, rise in usage on the country lines. So some of the lines, at least, are now quite crowded. You know, they're they're um, they're, they're suddenly they're getting what they you would expect them to get when they reduce the fares. Uh, like, say, the Aubrey line, apparently, the trains are very crowded now. Uh, and and, and oh, ditto the uh, Geelong line. So, you know, <clears throat> it's what happens. You know, when you make the fares very cheap, you're going to get more people using them, and that's great. But you've got to be ready to uh, cater for the demand. And, um, Interesting though, but they just dropped. They just dropped them, and we congratulated yeah, them for that. Yeah. But then in this new yeah, increase, right, of course, they've yeah. gone up a bit again. So they, yeah, even though yeah. they, but they're still quite low compared to where yeah. they were, of course. That they are, yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's, um, it, it doesn't seem, to, you know, it would seem to have been sensible public relations from 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 the uh, department's point of view to, to have hold off on the fair rises until at least till after this uh, current <coughs> current mayhem that's going on. Um, people people tell me that using the buses at um, at um, Southern Cross Station is is nightmarish. The bus the bus that underground bus terminal is very very difficult to use. But apparently, also quite a lot of the buses are going from up near Flagstaff Gardens, which doesn't seem to me to be the most um, um, what you, shall we say convenient part of the city mm. to to get your bus to somewhere. Mm. Um, fares normally rise on January one, so this seems mm. to be a pretty desperate measure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, the government's supposed to be uh, really sweating over the uh, uh, over, over their uh, revenue 
revenue streams not being as great as they'd like. Uh, yeah, so probably that's the reason, yes. <laughs> and just to finish up, in the last minute, I noticed yeah. that the ex, the former Deputy Premier who resigned at the last election, James Marino, has just, mm. just uh, landed himself a job running the rail loop. Um, yes. so, so he's now in charge of that, and he says it will be the transformation link that connects a growing Melbourne, putting our world-class public transport system on the map, he said. Oh, yes, right. Okay, thanks, James. Who wrote that bit of a film? Um, Josh, that, for you. That's what James said. <coughs> right, oh, somebody wrote it for him. Was but, it, yeah. You reckon? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Things are always transformational. <laughs> world on the map, all that, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, you know my view. My view is that there's a whole lot more public transport projects need to be done before you do the rail loop, and that includes, of course, fully accessible um, uh, trams and uh, buses. Yeah, the rail loop would certainly do a bit there, wouldn't it? If you put that money into that. Oh yeah, well, it really helped. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the trouble would be getting to the stations. And the, the current <laughs> right. plan is not to have very many stations. We've got to go, by the way. Time's <laughs> up. But, uh, John, look, thanks for your time, and we'll follow up okay. on this next month again. Yeah, we'll do it all okay. again. Thanks, okay, thanks, John. Bye, Karina. Bye. See you. Bye-bye. Okay, Karina, that's it. Next week, housing on uh, City Limits. Um, that's absolutely right. Um, also, listeners, don't forget to stay tuned this week during NADOC week for one of my favourite projects that 3CR does, the long-running yearly NADOC week broadcasts Beyond the Bars, um, where we go inside Victoria's prisons. And they let you out. They, <laughs> I mean, um, but yeah, we hear from the men and women inside Victoria's prisons. Um, and they are wonderful shows. There was a bit played on the Bricky show this morning. Your name was mentioned. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they start at 11 every, every day and yeah, today we'll be hearing... Ten o'clock, Joe will be screaming. Uh, oh, I got it. Today we'll be hearing from Fulham Correctional Centre and Loddon Prison. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Uh, we are such a huge representation in prison all over Australia. Statistically, it has to stop and it's gonna, not going to stop while you're building more beds in a prison. It's a Band-Aid. What about beds outside? Tune in to 3CR during NADOC week at 11am each day from Monday the 3rd to Friday the 7th of July. We'll take you inside six Victorian prisons. Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, Barwon Prison, Fulham Correctional Centre, Loddon Prison, Marguerite Correctional Centre and Port Phillip Prison. To hear stories, songs, opinions and poems from the men and women inside while connecting with culture and community. The shows will be live on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. 3CR Digital and streaming via our website or the Community Radio Plus app. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.